What if I told you that there is a medication? It'll make you smarter, thinner, more energetic, healthier overall, and even help you ward off cancer. (laughs) What would you do? Buy it right away, right? Well, I got to tell you, if you've been living your life doing some consistent exercise, some clean eating, but you still feel a little bit tired, you feel like your life is still a little bit off course, maybe you need a little more vitality, I've been learning about sleep. Sleep, guys, it's the fucking answer. Get ready to have your mind blown. Hey friend, welcome to the Ready to Rise podcast with your host, me, Audrey Rose. This is the podcast all about taking your life to the next level. Join me on my journey as I create a life that I'm obsessed to wake up for every day. I hope that you are ready to create a life that you really, really love. Are you ready to rise? So, you know, in January, I focused a lot um, learning about nutrition, exercise, part of, you know, a healthy life overall um, to create this healthy lifestyle. But did you know that sleep is even more important? There's this quote by the author of Why We Sleep, and his name is, is Matthew Walker. He says, the physical and mental impairments caused by one night of bad sleep dwarf those caused by an equivalent absence of food or exercise. February, as you know, it's all about self-love. I'm continuing this healthiness theme from January into the self-love theme from February. And what better way to learn to love yourself than to get the proper amount of sleep and continue living life, you know, the best way that, that we can. I am back with Catherine. A, because I just love talking to her, and B, because she's super passionate about sleep. So I found this book called Why We Sleep on her bookshelf, and um, basically we decided to read it and get a lot of takeaways. Um, I could probably talk about this for like 12 hours, so I know that Catherine's going to reel me in, um, because this is like amazing stuff. What did you think? I originally heard about this from some friends of mine online who had recommended it, who are also very big sleep advocates and they they talk about also about different apps and ways to monitor your sleep um as well so we can I can send that to Audrey and we can link some of that information into the show notes um if you want but cool. as for this book specifically yeah I was very interested in it I have someone um in my fam in my life that really struggles with sleep and so um it interests me for, for that purpose. And, um, I, I've loved this book. I love the candor. I love how Matthew Walker talk. He, he's really honest in saying, you know, there are no studies that show that this definitively causes that. Um, he doesn't make broad generalizations and then say, I, you know, this is fact. He's very true and very honest in this book, which I like saying that, you know, this, we can say causes this, but this, there's a correlation, but not causation. I love, I know, I love the way his delivery is amazing. I watched a YouTube um, video. It was like, um, he spoke at, at a college, you know, he's a professor anyway. But um, yeah, it was so funny. He's like, well, I'm going to open this conversation by letting you know that if you don't sleep right, you're going to have um, shrunken testicles. So we're, we're going to talk about that, your balls for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I love this guy. So what made me like the beginning kind of, well, he didn't put this at the beginning of the book per se, but you know, it's kind of interesting to start off thinking about how do you know if you're getting enough sleep? And I like how he kind of said, um, basically, how do you know you're not getting enough sleep is when you feel refreshed when you wake up, if you know, you know, you don't need a lot of caffeine. Um, yeah, a lot of times there, there are ways that you can tell whether or not you've had enough sleep, even if you don't have, you know, a monitor on yourself, like people like to use their Apple watch to monitor their sleep, et cetera. Um, yeah, waking up feeling refreshed. Now there is the question brought up of some people are just not morning people. They don't necessarily wake up. You're definitely leaping. yeah. Yeah. Leaping out of bed. And some people are the night owls or like the morning glories, so to speak. And that's very, um, and then he explains in this book that that's very true. There are people that naturally prefer based on their own circadian rhythm mornings or evenings. And the world kind of, 
um, caters to the morning people because the typical workday starts at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. Whereas, you know, night owls are definitely someone who would rather work like a 3 to 11 p.m. type work schedule. But in general, that's not the typical hours of most jobs. I mean, that is for jobs in like nursing, but for normal like IT jobs, working jobs, that's not typical. And that makes it difficult for part of the population that Mm -hmm. are considered the quote unquote night owls. So to go back to your question about how do you know you're getting enough sleep, I base my sleep on how I feel. And then also I'll know how well I slept because of how early I start to like crash in the afternoon. Yeah, totally. I I can tell in the morning, I can feel behind my eyes. I can feel if I'm tired. I know if I've slept well, aside from the whether or not I've been up and down in the middle of the night, just overall, if I was restless, I'll know it because I can, I can just feel it. Of course, like you're saying, you know, with this early workday, um, most of us need that alarm clock to wake up in the morning because otherwise we're not going to wake up at 6am on our own. Um, but he does mention, you know, if you're able to like pay attention to, if you're able to wake up without an alarm clock, you know, or how much are you sleeping over the alarm and snoozing it in the morning? Um, are you feeling refreshed? Do you need a ton of caffeine to feel alert after you've woken up? Are you nodding off at your desk midday? Um, basically things like that, you know, and, and I like, you probably have a strong opinion. I feel like you might have a strong opinion about this, um, sleep debt thing as well. Just as far as like a lot of people, they're like, Oh, I'm going to wake up at 5am, you know, these five days in a row and I'll get five hours of sleep. And then on Sunday I'll sleep in till noon. Yeah, that's true. There is no such thing as quote unquote playing catch up on your sleep. Once you've lost that sleep, you've lost it. And even though we say, oh, I'll be able to catch up on the weekends, that's not true. It's it's lost time and that's it. You can only just get eight hours the next night. It's not like you can sleep nine or 10 and quote unquote, like make up for the three or four hours of sleep you lost the night before. That's not how it works. Yeah, Yeah. because it's like, and we'll kind of get into this pathophys next. We'll just do kind of, I guess, like a deep dive because I know that I get super nerdy about this. But but it's true. You know, your brain has a specific set of functions that it, it needs to do every single night. And that's why we sleep. And yeah, you know, you can't just make up for that last night. You have to do tonight's job, basically. Basically, they have this, it's called um, SATED, I think was the acronym for this um, quiz you can take as far as kind of seeing if you're getting enough sleep or not. So I'll link that in the show notes because that's, you know, too much to go in depth with here, but it was interesting. I took it. Mine was like midline. It's, it's okay, but definitely needs a little improvement. Um, To be honest, I have not taken the, I haven't done the test yet. Yeah, it was interesting. We'll have to see like uh, when you take it, what what they say. I also am someone who doesn't have a sleep monitor. Um, I don't wear an Apple Watch or there's a, a ring. Uh, it's called Ua Ring, an U Ring. Um, I don't I don't wear any of that to monitor sleep uh, personally. I feel like I would exa- I I feel like if I had it, although it's good information. I would get a little obsessive about it and then start to become anxious. Like just reading this book and becoming more aware of sleep, I feel worried that I'm not going to sleep well. And I feel worried for the person in my life that doesn't sleep well and the negative effects it's going to have on them. Yeah. So that to me is like, I I don't want to know on a, on a day-to-day basis. I just do the best I can every um, night to you know maximize my own sleep results yeah, totally. Um, so I might get a little nerdy here, but it's so interesting to me. You know, we learn about, of course, in nursing school, even, you know, we learn about the whole circadian rhythm and like how this affects our sleep, but, um, kind of to break it down simply, what I've learned about sleep is like, so you have this spot in your brain called the hypothalamus and inside that spot is the, I can't even pronounce it. Supra, supra chiasmatic. <laughs> Nucleus. Love it. The suprachiasmatic nucleus. <laughs> and over that is where our optic nerves, you know, that are bringing in information from our eyes go back and then they cross over each other and then they go back, you know, into their um, particular areas of the brain, but it crosses right over mm-hmm. that nucleus. <laughs> and that's how light connects to the circadian rhythm. So basically, if you think about in the morning, um, even when our eyes are shut, we're sensing some of that light. It's coming through. It's telling that sleep center of the brain, basically, that 
it's time to start decreasing that melatonin that was happening overnight and kind of wrap up this whole sleep cycle. Um, You start to release different types of hormones that make you a little bit more alert. Then you go throughout your day. I guess there's um, research now that are showing that you have, there is a true midday slump. And I know that a lot of Americans feel that, and we tend to blame that, you know, on the industrialization of our society, but um, it's true that around two to 3 PM, your body naturally has a strong desire to sleep. Um, which most of us ignore, and we'll get into that later. But then again, at night, as you start to sense in a normal environment, um, talking almost like a caveman day type of environment, because that's you know how we're evolved. What happens is you start to sense the lights dimming. You sense you know it's becoming nighttime, and your body then goes again to release that melatonin, starts um, you know letting other types of hormones out to start this whole sleep cycle process, and then we have like that dip in temperature, everything else that begins our sleep cycle process. So basically that's kind of like a quick overview. And if you want to add anything to that, um, just as far as a general overview of our circadian rhythm. And it's the other interesting point, um, is how it's not a set 24 hour. And of course, you know, as we know, everybody is different. So it's a 24 hour ish cycle, um, basically that our bodies complete. Yeah, and I found it interesting with regards to the circadian rhythm and the two different modes in which your body finds rhythms for sleep. The studies they had done where people were in complete darkness mm-hmm. for days at a time and how their body still maintained a certain rhythm of a sleep and wake cycle. You guys, they literally went and like backpacked all of this like this hospital bed that was deconstructed into Mammoth Cave and they went into the very back part like lifted these hospital beds up off the water and the bugs on the floor and spent more than a month in there just to like literally find out the timing of our live in complete darkness. Like so that there's no sign of a light so that you know, like when it's time to go to bed, when it's time to wake up and to see like how your body reacts. It's amazing. Amazing research. So, you know, it's true. Um, And I think a lot of us tend to, and I'll get to this later too, but we tend to override that whole rhythm and think like, you know, the signal for bedtime is our sleeping pills. The signal to wake up is our alarm clock. But really, I mean, our body has an innate system of its own that, you know, we need to kind of get in tune with here. And furthermore, that's a good segue into the the sleeping pill pandemic that has been happening. Um, you know, for years, specifically since like the 2000s, you know, people's need for a sleeping medication and the lack of effectiveness. And I found it really fascinating that using sleeping medication like Ambien or uh, Restoril are linked to increased mortality rates. And I find that concerning. Um, And I And again, this is coming from someone who has someone in their life that many times needs uh, medication in order to sleep due to, um, you know, OCD and insomnia. So the concern is, do you, you know, you have to balance the cost and worth of taking a sleeping medication over the lack of sleep and like what is more concerning or what is a bigger problem? It is such a balance. And that's why I do believe that like a lot of Americans we've become, and I'm not knocking down medications, but we have become kind of like a pill heavy culture, medication heavy culture. And we tend to learn, um, to self-diagnose ourselves and self-prescribe things, you know, to ourselves. And I do think that instances like that, it's probably totally beneficial for somebody to use something to help them sleep because otherwise they won't get sleep. But working with some type of a doctor or somebody, you know, like you are in their family. So somebody that's, you know, been trained to understand the concept of of what they're doing, um, manipulating their bodies. And also like being able to balance the potential consequences of said medication. So it, it's hard because we are currently on a journey of removing, of kind of going medication free for like depression, anxiety, sleep, you know, cause yeah, the, the first solution is always a medication, uh, at least in recent years in terms of medicine and, and, you know, you and I working in hospital and primary care settings, 
you know, see that a lot more, but I really liked his section when he discussed cognitive behavioral therapy and how in other countries it is used as a first line, quote unquote, prescription over a medication. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a lot of research I've done on cognitive behavioral therapy due to like anxiety, depression, OCD, and solutions. And it is coming out as the number one best proven curative of anxiety, depression, OCD, um, uh, you know, a whole host of, of problems. And so it's, it's highly recommended. Now this author specifically with this book is, is uh, you can tell he's clearly against medications, but I think that also being part of, um, modern medicine as you and I are, we understand that there are some cases sometimes where it's necessary. And again, it's, it's a question of, um, asking for yourself for each individual, what is understand the risks and benefits and making the decision for yourself, the cost and worth, you know, Mm -hmm. is the cost worth what you're going to get out of it or not? And that's what I ask myself often when I make decisions. Yeah. I like that. And is it, you know, is the cost of, yeah, like definitely researching these medications and what the um, potential cost is to you because, are there ways that you can get around having to use them and just being honest with yourself, you know, like, Hey, is this really going to help me? Is this something that I can use as a short-term fix to then find a long-term solution? Or is this something I'm just going to be leaning on as a crutch for, you know, forever. And just, I like that, how you're opening up the conversation with yourself really on trying to find the best solution, find what's going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. It's what you feel most aligned with. And Mm -hmm. While we're on the subject of medication, I know people take melatonin and you and I had talked about oh, before this. Yes. How I was like, my mind was blown about the how ineffective oh melatonin. Oh my gosh, I know. It's like I was like, like basically you melat and it says on the boxes, like we advise patients in the clinics and you know that melatonin's not for long-term use. And I've never wondered why. I've like I've I have wondered why. I've never looked into why the bottles say not for long-term use. And I, it's just kind of been there as a warning. And I, I don't know what that means. Does that mean, you know, more than two weeks, more than two years? You know, where are the parameters around that? Mm-hmm. And I now I'm getting a better idea as to why part of it, because it doesn't seem to be actually effective in helping you sleep unless you're using it during um like a time change you're traveling to another state across the country or another or another country that's eight hours ahead or behind you and that seems to be the only time that this author has explained physiologically how it's helpful and i find that so interesting because melatonin is so widely used now and oh my god yeah melatonin is released at certain times of the day. So like, even if you take, let's say you're in a time zone where um, normally it would be like 8 PM, but it's actually midnight where you're, where you've traveled to in one of your time jump, like time jumping, I say time jumping, like it's time travel. I like it. When you're jumping <laughs> that time, it helps activate that in your body sooner. But if you're just taking it every night, your body's already got the system in place to release melatonin naturally and therefore it doesn't actually help um and i'm i i can't really personally explain it further because i would just butcher the explanation mm-hmm. so if you want a better explanation definitely get the book and read it uh but i found that really interesting because so many people take lick and people have different theories too about you know the pill version of melatonin versus liquid versus, you know, et cetera. And so they say liquid is, you know, these are like all gossip points, like, oh, they say liquid is better. Um, The only thing I didn't remember reading about was like other forms of sleep aid, like valerian root. Um, That's also another common herb used for sleep. And I can't say uh, to that point what, um, whether or not it's effective. It, It wasn't, I haven't researched it personally and it wasn't really, it wasn't discussed in this book. Um, and I haven't seen it in my research yet. Um, but I definitely will, will have to let everybody, the listeners know, um, who want an update on that. Cause I don't have an answer for that though. Yeah. That'll be interesting to find out more about. I didn't either. Um, and it will link in, uh, in a little bit, we'll talk about the, 
um, just how to get good sleep and all of that and how there's just a million ways that we are blocking and we are sabotaging our own sleep cycles and melatonin is released in so many ways. Um, but we, we kind of block all those ways. So then I think that's, what's led to this, like, issue of everybody, you know, wanting to just take it, um, as a way to get it into their bloodstream quickly, instead of just allowing our bodies to do what they're naturally supposed to do, you know? Um, but first I kind of wanted to just touch on some of these points. I mean, like the middle section of the book was, uh, has a lot to go into to depth with, but I'll just kind of give an overview of all of these different ways that we are sabotaging our bodies by not getting enough sleep. So many different disease processes can be linked back or traced back to a loss of sleep. And it's amazing. It's eye-opening and um, it's something that we should all be paying attention to. So heart problems is where I would maybe want to start. Um, It's something that we don't always link to this um, lack of sleep, but Basically, sleep loss can cause erosion of the blood vessels, the lining, the inside lining of our blood vessels, which, you know, of course, carry blood throughout our body to different organs um, and even back to the heart. So your heart will be supported by its own blood that it's pumping throughout the body to feed it, of course, so that it can keep pumping blood, right? And it's, it's a muscle. It needs this, the nutrients and the oxygen, everything that's provided in blood. So... Um, long story short, there's something called atherosclerosis, which is a buildup of plaque and the damage to these blood vessels can lead to this buildup of plaque. And of course we've all seen those diagrams, you know, they start sending you, I think they start sending you this when you turn 30 in the mail, these like yearly checkups that they do at the local, like local, um, you know, vets buildings and stuff like that. Um, I just started getting my yearly notice, which is crazy because at 30, you don't think that there's been much damage done to your body. But if you think about it, yeah, over time, this all adds up. So anyways, it's that diagram I was trying to talk about where, um, you can see that these little blood vessels start to become occluded with, um, plaque and it leads to heart attacks. It leads to high blood pressure, um, strokes, all kinds of things. And, I guess the University of Chicago, they did a sleep study and they noticed that people who sleep only five to six hours a night, and that's almost normal, right? Think about that, five to six hours a night. They have a 200 to 300% higher risk of suffering from the calcification of the arteries. So this whole atherosclerosis. And what this does is, like I said, it increases blood pressure. It can cause heart attacks. It's a very complicated it's complicated uh, science behind why this happens, but it does. And you can grab the book um, for a little bit more, more intricate detailing if you would like. Um, but it all ties into deficient sleep and that sympathetic nervous system that, you know, keeps coming up in this book for us. Um, heart rate increases, blood pressure increases, all related to the narrowing of these vessels. You know, they become more narrow. Um, the, release of the growth hormone overnight is also suppressed when we have a lack of sleep and that growth hormone, right? It does what it says. It grows different cells, different things that we need to have healthy cells in our body. So like I said, that blood, that blood vessel lining um, will be ruined. Cancer is more prevalent in people who sleep less. They did a study in Europe, um, 25,000 people in this study that they did, and the outcome was they slept about six hours or less every night, and it was associated with a 40% increase of developing cancer. And these are in people without any predisposed um, conditions, no past medical history, anything like that. So it's all related to the the increase in inflammation, which is a whole nother, you know, path, of course. Alzheimer's was one of the most interesting that I learned about when you sleep at night. I, everybody has heard this rant. Okay. So you're going to hear it too. (laughs) When you sleep at night, so there's these cells in your brain, they almost call them like a nurse cell. Um, they're helping cells and their real name is glial cells and they're all in your brain all over the place. And they have a lot of tasks that they perform on a daily basis. But anyways, it's amazing when you are asleep at night, your glial cells shrink up to 60%. So they're taking up less room in your brain. And this allows our cerebrospinal fluid called CSF, which is that, I call it like the sacred holy water of your body. I mean, this that, that's a different conversation, but this CSF 
it will extend into your brain and it's going to clean out. It literally like cleans your brain out, guys. It's like power washing Seattle, you know, downtown Pike's Place. They power wash it like every night um, because the fish market. Okay. (laughs) It's like doing that for your brain with CSF fluid and these glial cells shrink so that the brain can accomplish this task. Anyways, the the fascinating part is um, the point of all of this is that during sleep, you want your brain to be rejuvenating itself. And there's a toxin that builds up during the day. It's called beta amyloid. And this is what's linked to Alzheimer's. If you have too much of that, it's toxic to your other um, neurons and it can break things down. It can break down those um, connections, the synapses in your brain and different neurons. So we obviously don't want that in our brain and at night it gets cleaned out. So getting too little of sleep raises your risk of developing Alzheimer's. And there's a whole cycle in there I'm not going to get into, but it's like a chicken and an egg effect where then having Alzheimer's gets less sleep. And then that, you know, the sleep is something that might studies are showing that it possibly helps fight against Alzheimer's if you get more sleep, but it causes the reverse. But um, to read more about that, if you um, buy this book, because it's fascinating. Um, I'll leave you with just a couple more reasons why we need so much sleep and what it does to our body to have decreased amount of sleep, diabetes. So your cells will be less responsive to insulin if you're not sleeping enough. And insulin is what's responsible for telling different cells in our bodies to absorb the extra sugar and it's stored a certain way in our bodies. But basically it's it's like a storage cell. If if that doesn't happen, the sugar will just kind of run rampant in our bloodstream. So you have an increased blood sugar, aka diabetes. Um, and when that happens over time, you get you know more damage to those blood vessels, like I said. So now this leads to even more um, of these atherosclerosis problems. It leads to kidney damage, eye damage. It's all related to the vessels, uh, the inflammation process that goes behind this. So they say that... Um, Sleep deprivation is one of the major contributors to the escalation. The escalation, though, not the start of, but the escalation of type 2 diabetes. And this is like preventable, you know, like totally preventable shit, you know, like they say that more than a third of people living in industrialized societies sleep less than five to six hours a night during the work week. I mean, like, we've got to think about this, you know, like, why are we doing this to ourselves? That's part of. Part of the reason behind some of the weight gain that you see in people who aren't getting enough sleep, um, and diabetes, by the way, it decreases your life expectancy by 10 years. So, like, these are not light topics. Like, this, you know, it's not meant to, like, freak you out, but I just want to, like, tell you why this is so important to get enough sleep. And, like, I know that there's that saying, you know, we'll sleep when we're dead, but, like, that's really, really not true. I mean, I guess it's true. You know, if you want to reach that goal sooner, then, yeah, go ahead and and don't worry about getting enough sleep right now. Um, but eating, so we gain weight when we are not, um, we're not well rested. So it's very interesting that like you'll eat about 300 more calories on a day that you're sleep deprived. Um, leptin is a hormone that tells our brains that we are full. And there will be less of that released when you are tired. And then ghrelin is a hormone that tells us that we're hungry. And it's very interesting that more of that hormone will be um, secreted when you are tired. So basically when you're tired, it's like your body is saying, hey, I'm super hungry and I'm not full. So like feed me. There's also these endocannabinoids that are released and... It's similar to smoking smoking weed. So basically, if you, you know, have ever um, had one of those nights in high school where you just like smoked too much or something and you just want like those shitty gas station donuts. Um, so it basically is like that. So ask a ask a stoner friend of yours if you want the lowdown on on the link there. Um And then memories. So our hippocampus is an area that holds our short-term memories, like things that we're learning throughout the day, new things that we've learned. Um, It's kind of like one of those USB sticks that plugs into your computer. It can only hold so much, and then you need to dump it um, and store them somewhere else or delete them, right? So what happens is, is that's exactly what happens when we sleep. The hippocampus gets cleared. Things go into our long-term memory. Um, we create synapses during um, which cycle? I think it is 
our REM sleep. Yes, that actually creates these connections. So your memories need to be getting stored into this long-term storage or um, deleted. So anyways, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not getting enough sleep, what's going to happen is your hippocampus um, will remain full. And then that's why if you stay up, you know, people like to do the cram before an exam. And that is just not true because um, that's why you end up doing worse on those tests because you cannot fit anything else into your brain um, if you haven't had sleep. So they suggest that you sleep, take a short nap before um, a heavy lecture that you know is going to be a hard one. Concentration goes hand in hand with that. And there was, so they did a study in the University of Pennsylvania did a study where um, they they were looking for changes in concentration. They used um, different groups of people, gave them all different amounts of sleep deprivation times, and of course they had a control group that got about eight hours a night. What they found was after four hours of sleep for six nights, so this one group only got four hours of sleep, six nights in a row, their performance was just as bad as people who had stayed up for 24 hours straight. They did another group where they had people um, go about six hours of sleep for 10 days. And they also achieved the same, the same results where they were achieving the same results as somebody who had stayed up for 24 hours straight. So six hours of sleep for 10 days in a row will give you the same results as staying up for 24 hours straight. So honestly, I mean, just, you know, looking at some of this, thinking about some of this and, and like, should we be doing that to our bodies? Um, you know, I'm not sure, but there is so much research out there. You can look it up on your own. You can read this book for more details. I mean, this was like, I'm probably close to a hundred pages long, just of the part where he talks about, you know, why you need sleep, what it does to your body, how it can damage your body. Um, it's linked to depression. It's linked to anxiety. I mean, there is, it's just endless. So bottom line it is so important to get the proper amount of sleep. I mean, that is just... Yeah, I know. It's... it's oh, All of that is why I've now become very anxious around sleep. I know. <laughs> like, it's a healthy... Uh, it requires um, a, a healthy understanding to, like, take in information. And the more information you take in, the more alarming you become. And then you feel anxious about this. So... Um, if you're someone that's already, uh, likely to feel anxious around this and then therefore lose sleep, um, please don't read this book. <laughs> I know. If it's going to cause you to become obsessed about it, then oh, I don't recommend this, but that's a good point. it is good. Consider it just information and, you know, take it in and, you know, know that, that it, at least you like information is power. And so, I, so that you know, like, okay, I'm going to make the decision to slowly take myself off of sleeping medication, or I'm going to first find alternative ways, you know, and there's so many things that we can do like more holistically from home that are just easy, small things that really can be effective to help with sleep. Totally. Um, speaking of that, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say, you know, people should, maybe skip the research around, you know, how sleep causes like diabetes, heart problems, cancer, um, you know, decrease in concentration and just know <laughs> little amounts of sleep are bad <laughs> and let's learn how to get better sleep. Like you're saying, um, speaking of that. So, um, I'm sure you saw the part where they talk about how much sleep we need. And I, I see, uh, they kind of seem to talk a lot about like seven to eight hours, but then there's that big part where he says, um, they've nailed it down to like 6.75 hours a night. Um, and this was all kind of determined through studying different sleep patterns over the time of evolution to now how we're so industrialized. And, you know, like we said, where we, where we wake up and, you know, have the alarm go off and we stay up late trying to get extra work done. Um, but it looks like about like close to seven hours to eight hours a night. And it's interesting how, if you go over that and oversleep too much, it can cause issues too. So you really do want to kind of nail it down um, and create a sleep pattern that works for you. And everybody's different too. I definitely need eight hours. And sometimes, you know, depending on my level of stress and what's going on in life, I need a little bit more like that, that ninth hour, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, and everybody's different. Some people, yeah, they're really good with six to seven hours of sleep a night and they feel optimal. They feel good. 
Um, I am not one of those people. I definitely need eight hours. Yeah. And um, just kind of, yeah, finding what works for you and then sticking to that. So trying, like we talked about the sleep debt, but also just trying not to um, oversleep all the time, trying to keep it kind of in that range for a consistent amount of time, because just like exercise or nutrition really um, optimizes your life when it's consistent, sleep is the same way. And they, and that's one of the things that you can do to help, um, to help you get to sleep is to create a sleep schedule. And it's always that, you know, it's recommended that you wake up at the same time every day, no matter what, that you go to sleep, that you have a routine and you go to bed at the same time every day. You know, if you as long as you can do that, even on weekends, Mm -hmm. you know, that you maintain that schedule. Yeah. Which I am like moaning and groaning about over here because I realize how important it is, but I also don't want to give up my, you know, on week, weekdays, I wake up at 4 a.m. My weekends, I wake up like closer to eight. Um, but that is a huge difference and it all links back to the circadian rhythm, right? So like in the caveman days, the more primal lifestyles that we had, it was like we rose with the sun and we would sleep about two or so hours when the sun went down or after the sun went down. And you kind of had this natural cycle that everybody kept up with. Um, but now like we've talked about, you know, you have these alarm clocks and these late deadlines and all of this. And so we've just manipulated our sleep schedule so much that your body wants to stick with a natural sleep schedule. That's how you know, just like a a routine, your body needs that routine so that, you know, Hey, it's about this time of night. You know, you're regulating that sleep cycle for yourself. It's about this time of night. Melatonin will start to be released. Okay. I see that it's getting dark at about this time of night because you've created that sleep routine where you're turning lights off or whatever. So your body can sense that. And then it knows that, Hey, I've had that, you know, seven hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep. So now, okay. Your body senses, like it's about time to kind of start, you know, stopping the the release of melatonin. Let's start kind of waking up. Part, um, you know, it can become difficult because yeah, work, work life gets in the way. You know, I have two different jobs: one that I operate yeah. from eight a.m. to five p.m., and then one that operates three p.m. to eleven thirty p.m. <clears throat> so, oh my gosh, right? When I work till eleven thirty and I don't get home till midnight, but I have to be at work the next morning at eight. That you know, disturbs that, that those habits and you either alter your life to kind of fix that, or you just deal with it on the days when you end up having to work that type of a schedule. Mm -hmm. I myself just kind of deal with it in the, you know, when I need to, it's usually only once a week that I have to do that. So, you know, I make sure that as soon as I get home, I go straight to bed to get the maximum amount of sleep. And I wake up at the very last second that I have to, to get up so that I get as much sleep as possible. Yeah. And then, um, you know, just linking that to what you're saying about jobs kind of getting in the way of our sleep habits is, um, they, excuse me, they recommend the, um, biphasic sleep pattern. So it's something that we used to do kind of back again in those like more primal days. And it's also something that a lot of, um, other cultures still do is they take that siesta during the day. So a 30 to 60 minute nap during the day. And this follows those, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep a night. You kind of do that kind of like early afternoon or so. And it's actually, like we said, it's biologically driven, um, within us where we get that midday slump, um, in the late afternoon, or some people get it in the early afternoon, but that's something that, you know, is very healthy for us, but we've completely fallen away from that with the way that our society is now. It's so hard because society has made us feel like completely lazy. If we take any kind of a midday nap or, um, sometimes we're so sleep deprived that that intention of the 30 minute nap becomes like hours and hours, you know, and then we wake up less refreshed because we didn't get enough sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, having a regular bedtime and wake up time, you know, despite the weekends, that's one of the biggest things you can do to help yourself maintain a sleep wake cycle. Another one I thought was interesting is it's recommended that you not lay in bed for multiple hours, just sitting there awake. If you're having trouble going to sleep after about 20 to 30 minutes, you don't just continue to lay there. You get up and you do a quiet activity, like typically read a book. Do not look at your phone. Do not look at the blue light you know, coming from your phone because that wakes you up again. But to read a book until you become tired again and then return to the bed, return to your bedroom. And 
you know, go to bed only when you're, when you're feeling sleepy and, you know, avoid falling asleep on the couch in, you know, the early morning or the evening time. Try to avoid doing that. Try not to worry about, you know, things that like anxiety provoking thoughts. And of course we all joke about that when you, you lay down at the end of the day and you think of the the million things that you still have to do. And there's nothing you can do about any of them right now but yet you can't stop thinking about that highlight reel of all the stuff you have to do. And it builds up that anxiety. And I know that that some nights that happens to me and I just can't turn my brain off, you know? And what I do for that is I get up and I make a list because I get anxious. If I think of something that, you know, I hadn't thought of that day, like, Oh God, I really need to do that. I worry. I'm going to forget it the next morning. So I get up, I make a list so that I can release it onto the paper and then come back to bed. Oh my God. So you know what I started doing? And like my boyfriend thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. So like, don't laugh at me, but I bought a voice recorder and I leave it on my nightstand every night. And then yeah. I literally and wake up and release your feelings, your thoughts, exactly into a recorder, write it down, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, another recommendation, it, uh, you know, it's widely heard before is don't sleep with your phone next to you and don't leave a clock in your bedroom. So yeah, let's talk about that. Staring at the clock. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that, huh? Yeah. And it's recommended. I, you know, I don't do it personally. Um, I use my phone as my alarm clock and they say, find an alternative alarm clock and leave your phone charging in the living room or yeah. in another room. Yeah. And um, I have not tried that personally. So just to be honest, what I do, cause I had noticed that when, gosh, back when I first started nursing, um, as a career, I was very stressed, um, about time, you know, and not waking up on time, not getting enough sleep. So I did notice I was doing that. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, look at the time. So I took out all the, um, clocks out of the bedroom and then, you know, like there's the natural ones, right. That come with like your DVR or whatever. So I covered all those up and also, like you said, for the, the light that comes out of those. But, um, you know, I think I learned this from Mel Robbins where, I quit having my my cell phone on the nightstand because I am the type who's inclined to check it at 3 a.m. when I wake up, you know, to go pee. And um, I started doing what she said where she charges it in her closet. And I can still hear the alarm go off. Um, I'll put it in my bathroom or my living room or whatever, and I can still hear the alarm go off in the morning. But then that way it's out of sight, out of mind. I'm not checking it. It's not buzzing next to me. Um, yeah. So it's really about finding what works best for you, but all of these are certainly worth, you know, trying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, there's so many things. So also, you know, I like what he talked about um, as far as being able to get more sleep through, you know, quit drinking caffeine, um, depending on, and like, you know, of course, same thing where it's different for everybody, right? But try to stop drinking caffeine at least a couple hours before because the half-life of caffeine is like five to seven hours. That's yeah, we hadn't even talked about that, that like, <sighs> which for people that don't know what half-life means, like let's say you drink something at noon, you your body has only processed 50% of the caffeine that you consume by 5 p.m. or 7 p.m., like between five to seven hours. Yeah. Only half of it has been so that's, processed and that's out the of difference your body. Between drinking like half a coffee. I mean, basically, that's the same fucking thing as like almost the same thing as drinking half of whatever it was at 5 p.m. Like, would you do that to yourself? I mean, it's it's crazy. And that's why they tell you don't drink caffeine after like noon. Everybody goes, oh my God, why noon? That's so yeah. early in the day. I, how can I get through my 3 p.m. slump without a, like a two couple cups of coffee? Well, you're, you're having a bit, probably a more dramatic slump than would be your natural rhythm slump. You're probably exhausted. Because you stay up so late because at three o'clock every day, you drink a cup or two of coffee. Yeah. And by the time you go to bed at night, your body has barely processed half of the entire, the, the total amount of caffeine in your body. I and then therefore you take a medication to offset the caffeine in your body. And then you rely on sleeping meds to go to sleep when you really could just not drink caffeine in the afternoon mm-hmm. and it would solve your problems. And we can just, you know, screw big Keep- pharma and stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then how that cycle continues, you know, like you just said, yeah. And then yeah, you need more caffeine the next day thing. now. Yeah. <laughs> you're just screwing yourself. So, but it is hard. I mean, when you're in it, you know, I know that it's hard to step out and recognize it, especially if you haven't read a 400 page book about why we sleep. <laughs> 
Yeah. So just, you know, and there's more, uh, there's so many reasons why caffeine does that to us, but we won't get into that. But yeah, I mean, cut that caffeine consumption, you know, somewhere in that afternoon and just find something else, which I'll talk about later. And I'll add to the show notes that there are so many different hacks, if you will, to get through that uh, midday slump. And then if you're used to having something in the afternoon, switch it to a uh, maybe start with a caffeinated tea and then slowly switch to a decaf tea. Oh, and apparently, point. you know what I was surprised to hear? I don't drink coffee just for the listener, right. people listening. Ca- our caffeine-free coffee still has a percentage of caffeine in it. And I think Oh, I know. Three, was it three cups of non of caffeine free coffee actually is the equivalent of a cup of full caffeinated coffee? That makes sense because he, it was like fifteen to thirty percent or somewhere in there of caffeine yeah. in a decaf coffee. Uh huh. Which I had no idea. I Me don't either. worry about that because again, I don't drink coffee. But yeah. for those, but like anybody, I mean, who knows that? Like, yeah, unless you're really researching all of this, and I, I don't think as a society we do anymore. So I love that point. Yeah. Um, you know, the other, the other thing that really affects sleep is alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing how, you know, so many, you'll hear people again, you'll hear people say, and they just don't, don't realize, but so many people say, oh, I'm just going to have like two glasses of wine so I can sleep better tonight or, you know, whatever. And I love how he compared it to anesthetics. It was amazing to me how he says, you know, it's not that you're actually sleeping. They've done a lot of studies on this and studied the brain waves that go into um, the way that we're sleeping under the influence of alcohol. And it's almost the same thing as just being lightly sedated, not not actually sleeping. So what happens is we kind of come, you know, like ebb and flow in and out of the consciousness. But really what we're doing is, is we're not getting any of that restorative sleep. And we're also not getting um, enough REM sleep when that happens. It kind of keeps us in more of a lighter sleep cycle. So it's very interesting. And and just for a little quick side note of why that's so interesting is they're actually, you're not getting down into that deep dream cycle. So that's why when people are then withdrawing from alcohol, they have all these hallucinations because it's rushing into their bodies at once that they're actually having this like dream cycle while they're awake because they've went for so long without that. So I thought that was just very interesting, but you know, um, and here's the little plug that I think everyone will love is he actually says, you know, if you are going to drink, do some day drinking, (laughs) hit the bar in the morning, do some day drinking, have fun, live your best life, but don't go to bed drunk. Well, there we go. That's the solution is just, <laughs> I think so. Day drink, you know, don't drive drunk. You know, he's, he still suggests taking an Uber around. <laughs> Be safe guys. Yeah. As someone that's <laughs> now on, um, week five of just no alcohol, I've decided to go nine weeks, uh, without alcohol more as like a personal challenge. Um, and to like, kind of just see if I could maximize my reduction in overall, like bloating and, you know, negative health effects of alcohol. Um, I, feel, I still feel tired some days cause I'm working a lot. You know, we are nurses in the middle of a pandemic, but I feel way less tired than I did before. Yeah. I feel way less tired. I feel like I'm relying on it less for, for just like you said, maybe I'll just have a glass of wine or two. I definitely fall asleep quicker after, you know, a couple glasses of wine or even for like pain control. Like, Oh, my back's hurting after a long day of work. Like a glass of wine will just loosen those muscles right up. Um, you know, and it's so, but it's so great to have that clarity and feel so much better and much more well-rested. Yeah. I think that's so important for people to just kind of take a lot of these, you know, there's so many little tips. Um, there was another one I found interesting. Um, I don't know if it resonated with you, but about temperature. And again, like clearly I just love taking it back to these primal roots, but the, um, hunter gatherer tribes that are still active in Africa, they, they live very similar to the way that we did, you know, back in the day, day. (laughs) Um, But they sleep in these huts that are not completely insulated. You know, they're a bit exposed to the elements. They sleep, you know, of course they don't have these big, crazy down comforters and like um, these weighted blankets and heating pads that we use to sleep or these, um, you know, the way that we have our thermostat set at a certain level every night. They don't have any of this and they are sleeping so much better than us. Um, the studies that came out of, of studying these tribes suggest that we, with our down comforters and all of that that we use, we should actually have our bedroom temperatures set to about 65 degrees at night. And that makes me I love that. 
Really? It's supposed to make I sense. love sleeping when it's cold out and you're like under your blankets. I do right. tell, I can't tell a difference in the summertime. I don't sleep well. I'm overheated. I'm too warm. It's, I just can't hang. Yeah. And, and the reason is, I guess, you know, uh, at night, again, bringing it back to the circadian rhythm, the melatonin will become released when you have a drop in your core body temperature. That's one of the things that, you know, at nighttime, of course, it gets a little colder out and our bodies respond to that by increasing the melatonin release. And that's just part of that natural sleep cycle. But, you know, we're not doing that when we're sitting here at home um, in our controlled temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So what are you going to do to implement your better sleep? I know that it's something you've already been working on a ton, but is there anything new that you learned that you might start to implement? So. A few things that we've started, we already don't have LED lighting in our bedroom, Mm -hmm. Um, but having more reading time versus like social media or phone time before bed has definitely been a big one, which also helps with overall boundaries with your phone too. Totally. I think for me, it's going to be implementing um, a sleep schedule for sure. Like waking up at those same times, finding um, a happy medium between that 4 a.m. and that 8 a.m. I think the biggest takeaway that I got from this book was just the realization that we manipulate our bodies so much, you know, through foods and exercise and especially sleep and just getting back in touch. Like I really am into that primal lifestyle right now. I don't necessarily live by it, but it's very intriguing to me. Um, I like the idea of just getting back in touch with that natural cycle that, you know, we were evolved to live in that way. Um, So I think that's awesome, you know, going to bed going to bed when your body needs to so that you can like not have to take the sleeping pills or do things like that if if you can prevent it and um you know waking up early and not needing those 10 cups of coffee that we were talking about yeah exactly well awesome Catherine I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation and hopefully a lot of people you know get some takeaways from this and um tag us in your takeaways on Instagram um I'll link Catherine's Instagram, but it's at Catherine Smith, common spelling Smith, one three zero. And definitely look up the book and give it a read. There's so much more that we didn't go over um, specifics, mm-hmm. you know, um, and around the hormones and and all of their names and how they work, you know, physiologically. And so it's definitely a. Re- and I like how he how he writes the book. It makes it enjoyable versus very dry. I totally agree. Yeah. And I'll link his Instagram um, to the show notes and then you can just look it up on Amazon, but I can add that link down there too. Um, But yeah, yeah, Matthew Walker, he's an interesting guy. Yay. I'm so happy you were able to make it to another awesome episode. Don't forget if this resonated with you, take a screenshot, tag me in it on Instagram at enlightened period wellness, or if it's something that one of your friends needs to hear, don't hesitate to send it out. Let's get this message across. Have a blessed day.